So tonight I'd like to talk a little bit about death <laughs> and the deathless. I was thinking tonight about the title of Stephen Levine's, one of Stephen Levine's famous books, Who Dies? And I think that's the heart of, of why we practice, is to discover what is it that is born and dies and what is deathless, what is unconditional, unconditioned, unborn, unassailable, free. And that's all of everything we do here. Our whole practice, every Dharma book you read, every kind of practice that you do is solely, ultimately, on behalf of realizing the deathless. And realizing the deathless as the, uh, the nature of your own mind, only to be found actually, for those who are willing and interested, to be found here, now. Not tomorrow, not next week, not after six lifetimes, to actually put a stop to our postponing and to look directly at the nature of our minds right now. The very nature of the mind, as Linda Adkins, our wonderful Sangha member, parroting me one night, as I often say, the very mind through which you are perceiving. She kind of roasted me on my birthday and uh, repeated the line that I've shared many times, that the very awareness, the very consciousness through which you're perceiving is, has no, um, it has, it's, be, it's prior to birth, prior to death beyond death. And that this is what is realized in awakening. And yet, we can only really find it ever now. Because it is what and who you are right now. Now, that's a wonderful, that's a wonderful, that's wonderful news. That your, your own nature is already free. But is that what you mostly identify with? Is that where you put your attention? I know for the last 36 hours up until this morning, I was putting my attention on, uh, on the effects on this body of food poisoning. And I felt that that's who I was. <laughs> I was the poisoned one. Vice grip, headache, nausea, you know, the whole thing. And just at the mercy of that. And it's inevitable now that this body is, uh, <laughs> the whole world knows now, <laughs> even though I don't usually broadcast these things, but it's 60 years old. It's into its seventh century, <laughs> which kind of blows my mind. But this body is into its seventh century, seven, not seventh century, <laughs> seventh decade, seventh <laughs> It felt like seventh century. <laughs> anyway, it's into its seventh decade, and it um, every time something at this point, even though by all 
by our relative standards of, of life expectancy, I'm still, you know, and I'm the 60 is the new, or 60 is the new 40 or whatever, some people say. But nevertheless, every time something happens to the, uh, happens to the body, like a food poisoning or flu, it portends that moment when whatever it is that's happening doesn't just last 36 hours. That it's the beginning of something that is much more uh, terminal. Even though life is from the moment we're born, as the Wiley's Dictionary put it, uh, the, no, I, it wasn't Wiley's Dictionary, one teacher put it that, that from the moment we're born we're sinking ships. And or Wiley's Dictionary put it, the definition of birth is the leading cause of death. But it starts to uh, sink in that this body is, um, is got a certain shelf life. It's got a certain, it lasts a certain amount of time. Now, to the degree that that thought and the feelings that go with it produce a sense of anxiety or fear points to the some measure of resistance to the fact of the, that this body um, has a nature to arise as all things do, has a nature to arise and the nature to pass away. And in monasteries in the, all over the world where uh, the Buddhist teachings are are practiced every day. There is the there is the reminder through the chanting that goes, and I'll chant. Um, I'll chant it in English. All things are impermanent; they arise and they pass away. To be in harmony with this truth brings great happiness. There's a reminder every day that that uh, that. Being, being uh, resistant to this fact of impermanence and change in all its flavors brings suffering and being in harmony with this truth brings relief, brings release, brings freedom. And so part of our practice of realizing the deathless, what keeps us sometimes from realizing the deathless, what keeps us postponing realizing the great joy of being, of as they talk about it in the, in the Hindu tradition, uh, sat chidananda, sat being, consci- uh, uh, chit consciousness, ananda bliss, being the bliss of being awake and conscious. What deprives us of that ever-present availability, that natural great peace as it's described in the, in the Tibetan Dzogchen tradition, the death, the Nibbana as it's described in the Theravada tradition. What prevents us from resting in the deathless is this tendency to cling to the unavoidable, to cling to this body that has the whose nature is to arise and pass. So the encouragement in our teaching is to 
as we do with all the facts of existence, the first noble truth that life has within it, sickness, old age, death. This is the same reflection and realization that turned the, the Buddha toward awakening, toward the Dharma, toward the, the, the path of truth. That the recipe, that the um, prescription for dealing with the malady of existence, the difficulties fa- facing us with being a human, is to welcome them, is to open to them. And what causes us to remain bound in a wheel of, of suffering is avoiding it through grasping at uh, at our bodies, grasping at our minds, grasping at what's next, grasping in existence, grasping at becoming, grasping at, at our, uh, all the things that we're averse to, of, of striking out in blame, or trying to hold on to every and, and slip in, in every slippery way, try to find pleasure. And the recipe, not the recipe, <laughs> the prescription for dealing with with this cause of this, what causes uh, our everyday, our natural stresses, our universal stresses to turn into mental suffering, that cause of grasping and holding on, the, the prescription is to let go, is to enter into the stream, be in harmony with things just the way they are, which is, yeah, we don't have a clue. We operate in a state of delusion, thinking we know that we will have another moment. And we don't know that. That we live literally in the, we live in the deathless at all times, but we believe that we will live continuously. That we will, that it's not, that it's not just, we will, we always live here and now. And that transcends everything. But we think our body will last. We think this particular time-dependent existence, our physical form, will just keep going on and on. And you've all heard, if any of you have read or heard of the Bhagavad Gita, the, the most interesting interaction in the Bhagavad Gita is what's the most wondrous thing in this world? And the answer is, the most wondrous thing in this world is that all, all of us, all seven billion will be replaced. You know, that's not, it, what, there weren't seven billion then. But every, people are dying all around us every day. Dying is a fact of life, but somehow we don't think it'll happen to us. That's the most wondrous thing in this world. And speaks to the tendency of mind to cling to an illusory idea of uh, always having enough time. And that keeps us in a state of postponement. It makes us lazy about our practice, lazy about our realization. And then as our body and death approaches, we, we get rope burn. We hold on so tightly, feel afraid and feel... feel um, we, we don't meet it with, with a sense of freedom, knowing that we're already already dead in the, in the deepest and most joyous sense of the word. And that's something that we can realize here and now. Anybody interested in actually tonight? And just knowing that and developing some confidence in that?
So who dies? And what, what is it that's deathless? So let's just check out our, the nature of our minds right now. Now what's so let's say you can sense that you may be aware of sitting in this room right now. Now you may be aware of being happy, you may be, have been aware of being sad a little while ago, you may have been be aware of your body hurting or your body at ease. Now is the awareness that notices that, is that affected by whatever is happening? Does awareness... Does it have any location awareness? Does it have any height, any depth, any color, any shape, any inside, any outside, any beginning or end? Right now, let's check it out. Is awareness born and does it die? Let's check it out. is what an Advaita Vedanta teacher said. Once you understand that the false needs time and what needs time is false, you are near the reality which is timeless, ever in the now. Reality is what makes the present so vital, so different from past and future which are merely mental. The real is always with you. You need not wait to be what you are. Only you must not allow your mind to go out of yourself in search. Or as one of our Tuesday night substitutes, Tom Moon, put together a little teaching on awareness and the immortality of awareness. I'll share what he wrote. Awareness is unlike anything else. It knows itself in a direct, unmediated way. In the experience of self-awareness, the knowing subject, the means of knowing, and the known are all the same thing. The knowing subject awareness, through the medium of awareness, knows awareness. Awareness is non-material. It illuminates the content of the five senses, but cannot be detected by any of them. Nor can it be weighed, measured, or detected in any way by any scientific equipment. It both follows from the above and is consistent with experience that awareness is non-local. Most people probably assume that awareness is located in the brain, but a little reflection shows that it's the other way around. The brain and all other objects of knowledge are in awareness. Since every location we can know is known in awareness, it is clear that awareness has no location. You with me? Awareness is timeless. It observes the arising and passing of every experience, which means that time passes through it. But awareness itself is always simple presence. It knows the passage of time, but it is not itself in time. It subsists in the eternal now. Awareness is not affected by its contents. We talked about this. 
Awareness of fire isn't hot. The awareness of light is no brighter than the awareness of darkness. Awareness of a star is not larger than the awareness of a molecule. The awareness of fear isn't itself afraid. Awareness of anger isn't angry and the awareness of suffering does not itself suffer. This is the truth that is of tremendous psychological importance. What it means is that for all of us, no matter how much pain or trauma we've experienced, there is some part of us that has never been touched by any of it. That is why experienced meditators often refer to awareness as a secure refuge. Taken together, all the characteristics of awareness show that it must be deathless, since it is non-material, has no location, is outside of time, and is not affected by its contents. There is no conceivable way anything could create, change, or destroy it. The conclusion is that awareness simply is always and forever. So this is one thing to talk about it, but the most important thing and why we read, why we practice, is to realize this. And not just realize it somewhere in the span of life, but to realize it here and now. There is only here and now. So why does the Buddha talk about sickness, old age, and death? It's because we cling so deeply to and identify, misidentify ourselves with this body. We take this body to be me and all those contents of, my, of our minds to be me and mine. And so what, what liberates us from that is one, to have a very, first of all, to, in regard to the fact that we're born and we die, to have a, a healthy relationship with that. Partly my inspiration for talking about this is I had the great good fortune uh, last week, during the whole week, uh, my friend of 40 plus years sent me an email with three e-tickets uh, with a happy 60th birthday, three tickets to come to visit him in uh, San, B San Miguel de Allende in Mexico, so, which was an incredibly generous gift. I've been there several times, uh, not, I've paid my own way, but I've been, you know, welcomed a place to stay, and he lives there. And this, this is the second time in the last two years that I've gone specifically for this time of year, which is, of course, uh, what we call in English, uh, Day of the Dead or De los Muertos. It's the day that the, uh, that the dead are celebrated. And San Miguel de Allende, I know probably many people in this room have been there, it is a, it is a feast of, of festivals. Uh, they have more celebrations, it's really like Burma, they have more celebrations than any place in the world. But, but San Miguel is a very happy place, very kind people, very gentle, respectful, it's just an, an amazing environment. And, and they go overboard on uh, Day of the Dead, where almost half the community is, have, has their face painted as a skull. And they dress up in, in all kinds of uh, costumes, wedding costumes, uh, everything. 
but all with, with uh, face paint with uh, skeletons that makes them, you just see their skull. And then throughout the whole city, every corner has shrines where people have been, are celebrating their departed ones. And the whole community, literally hundred, over 100,000 people, slowly go in procession into and out of the cemetery all day long for two, a couple days running. And when they go to the cemetery, they celebrate. You have bands. You have some people are wailing at the graves of their of their um, uh, of their family members who they've lost. And they have a special day. The the, pre, the first day they have for the children who have died. And they go and they 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 just sit with the reality of it. And the next day, it's for everyone. And it's that you have the rich mausoleums and then you have the little piles of dirt where they have a little cross stuck in you have the, the rich and the poor and everybody is there and they're celebrating they are celebrating and honoring this fact that we so closely guard as a secret in our culture and hide away our people as they get older we just want them to go away die already and uh, we don't really honor our, our elders and honor our ancestors in the way that uh, other cultures do just as a matter of course and it's a beautiful thing and it starts to just normalize the fact of, uh, of death and dying it's not weird and every time this topic comes up they go People will, will, will talk about it, and we'll get real about it, and then we'll say, let's get on to something happier. But it turns out, and the real heart of the Buddha's teaching, if you're interested, is the true happiness comes from realizing impermanence. All things are impermanent. They arise and they pass away. To be in harmony with this truth brings happiness, sukha. Sukha is the word for happiness. It's, and happiness in this case the, is the fading of that mind that clings, that tries to hold on to that which is changing. So the heart of everything that we do is on behalf of letting go. And what happens when we let go? We realize that we're, that deepest part of ourselves already is free. We don't have to grit our teeth and, and have and rub our fingers on the, on the chalkboard and be so deeply identified with our bodies. Let our bodies go through what they go through. They, this is a rent-a-body. They don't operate according to our will or wish. So we might as well get used to that so we don't cling so tightly, don't have so much trouble. So when I was down for the count for those 36 hours, sickness, it completely, 100% unpleasant. So hard to bear. My mind, it, my mind started to go toward the, the inevitable. And I noticed that it, when, when there was weakness, when there was, my mind was weak along with my body, which often is the case, I noticed that I was a little, much, a little, I can, you know, right now, because I feel a little stronger, I can say, yeah, I can deal with it. It's, 
But we're but as we're dying, we may not we may not be so um, we may not have the mental strength to learn for the first time that we're going to die. To open to it, to wait till that moment. We need to be practicing all the time. Of course, the most natural, the best way to practice is to realize the deathless right now. And so that when your body, as your body falls away, that's not your strongest identity anyway. I do have the sense for much of the time that I'm already dead. That I'm, that my, I, it's not as, as I sit here, I feel much more in trust and identified with, with being, being aware and awake as opposed to I'm my body. I just don't. But I, I also know that there's a lot of little nooks and crannies in there that where there's a real primal clinging to this physical organism. So I want to do whatever is whatever is possible to to have the transit through this life and the transit through the passing of this body be as graceful as possible. But I also want to. I don't want to spend any time in this life being uh, bound up in fear of what's next. And uh, just that little, little moments of saying, uh-oh, maybe this is the end. It was the uh-oh feeling. Uh, or this is what it portends. That I, um, It just tells me there's still, there's still some letting go to be done by all of us. And it's good practice. So let's celebrate tonight death and dying. Let's be happy that we're here. It's so precious. Don't postpone another moment. Appreciate Because you don't know. You could die the second you... You could die the next moment. And we don't know. So don't waste another moment. Just, just realize that you're free. That's the whole purpose of practice. That's why every instruction, stay where you are, stay where you are. Stay in the vicinity of this primordial awareness, this deathless. See, when we don't think we only can know that we're aware. So this whole idea of I am my body is a thought of the past. And as my teacher Punjuji used to say, you need the past and thoughts to suffer. You don't need anything to be free. So just be mindful. Be mindful. That just means be awake and present. And you're, you'll get used to that awake and present is beyond uh, birth and, and death. Be free. Let's see, I had a few things to read. Just to emphasize the point, this is from Kala Rinpoche, a wonderful Tibetan teacher. He says, there's nothing to be gained Nothing to be found that is not here already. Truth is so simple. Buddhahood, so simple. So self-evident. Truth is here, even in this very room. Truth is you. 
the supreme silence, shunyata, infinity, is in you. You are the silence, you are the truth, you are the Buddha. It is here in this very moment, so simple and unaffected, so near. Yet we make it so distant when it's so near, so remote when it's so immediate, so complicated when it's so simple. Do you know what it's like to be on the roadside with your motor car, but to have lost the way? You are the Buddha. Then why don't you feel it? Why don't you know it utterly through and through? Because there's a veil in the way, which is attached to appearances, such as the belief that you are not the Buddha. Buddha simply means awake. That you are a separate individual. If you cannot lift this veil at once, then you must, it must be dissolved gradually. If you've seen through it totally just once, even one glimpse, then you can see through it all the time. Wherever you are, whatever presents itself, however things seem to be, simply refer to that, refer to that ever-present, inherent spaciousness, openness, and clarity. So that's the good news. You can refer to that ever-present openness and clarity. But our practice is working with the bad news that we cling like crazy. We have, we've fallen into a case of mistaken identity with our bodies. And that's to be released. It's to be to unclench our fists as Edgar Allan Poe said, I stand amid the roar of a surf-tormented shore, and I hold with my hand, within my hand grains of the golden sand. How few, yet how they creep through my fingers to the deep, while I weep, while I weep. Oh God, can I not grasp them with a tighter clasp? Oh God, can I save one from the pitiless wave? Is all that we see or seem but a dream within a dream? Yes. <laughs> or one last, going on the other side again, not the clinging but the freedom. We have Noshoken Rinpoche, another Tibetan teacher, who says, Profound and tranquil, free from complexity, uncompounded, luminous clarity, that's the nature of our mind, beyond the mind of conceptual ideas. This is the depth of the mind of the Buddhas. In this there's not a thing to be removed, not a thing needs to be added, it is merely the immaculate looking naturally at itself. That's what it means to be aware, and aware of being aware. How hard is that? How far do you have to travel? As Nisargadatta, another Advaita teacher, says, you are really in search of yourself without knowing it. You are love, longing for the love-worthy, the perfectly lovable. Due to ignorance, you are looking for it in the world of opposites and contradictions. When you find it within, 
your search will be over. I think let's all reflect on death and dying through the the great reflection on on the four stages of life from Santa Claus. You believe in Santa Claus, stage one. Stage two, you don't believe in Santa Claus. Stage three, you are Santa Claus. And stage four, you look like Santa Claus. (laughs) So let's be in harmony with this truth and it will bring great happiness. So as we do each week, we consider any of the blessings that have arisen from us being together, any of the goodness, any of the fruits, any of the merit, any of the benefits. And we realize that we don't, we also try to remember that we don't exist independently apart from everyone else. And this is what we find when we stop separating ourselves out through our body and mind identities. We live in silence and we flow down into this wider sense of being. We realize that everything we do, we think, everything we say impacts not just ourselves but everyone. So we dedicate any of the fruits and the blessings to all beings everywhere and we wish for all beings that they can have happiness and the causes of happiness increasing. In this case, that all beings can come into harmony with impermanence and change. And we wish that all beings can be free of suffering and the causes of suffering. It means that all beings can release that tight grip, tight grip of grasping at things, at people, at situations, and let go. And we also share our blessings with the deep wish that all beings can recognize the sacred happiness that is without sorrow here and now and not postpone this for even one moment to find freedom here and now. And finally, we share the blessings with the deep wish that all beings can grow in serenity and equanimity and are able to meet the joys that come in life and the sorrows, the sickness, the aging, the births, that we can meet it all with, with equanimity, with serenity, with less grasping and aversion. A deep wish that our practice tonight and every day uh, be dedicated to the welfare and benefit of all. May all beings be liberated. May all beings see the end of postponement. May all beings be free.
enjoy your life. <laughs> and thanks for your practice. It was a real joy being back here, sitting with you, and thank you for your generosity. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.